And here's the clock very clearly. Okay, so now we're on Hadith 7. Uh, this is starting next week, inshallah. Today is the 13th, so starting next week, the 20th. We will. The plan is to switch things up a little where we do the reading before coming and then we still show up and then discuss things in person, inshallah. Okay. For Hadith 7, the title, The Heart's Attachment to This World, the Messenger وسلم, said, The heart of the old man is young in its love of two things, long life and love of wealth. In this hadith, the Prophet وسلم, points our attention to the attachment of our hearts as we journey to Allah. When the heart is not cared for, it tends to attach very strongly to the world and refuses to leave it. This is the poor heart of the last hadith. The one that craves the world but can never have enough of it. As we grow older, our wrong attachments only intensify. Aging. Life has many inconvenient facts, and aging is one of its major ones. We can ignore this fact as long as we are young and healthy. We know it's true, but it is so far off in the future that it seems like it will never happen. Other people get old and sick, but not me, we think to ourselves. Other people mull over these depressing thoughts, but I have my whole life ahead of me, we convince ourselves. I will worry about all this when I'm old. This is what we tell ourselves when we're young. But life sneaks up on us. Before we realize it, we are middle-aged. As Ahmed ibn Hanbal said, a great scholar, young age is truly like a thing I had in my pocket and it fell out. The example Imam Ahmed gives points to how quickly youth tends to depart, where often this departure comes as a shock similar to us losing something we've been carrying on us. It is then that the reality of aging and death hits many of us the hardest. We then suddenly contemplate the grim reality of losing all the worldly things we love. We question the meaning of our existence and what has remained of it, and we panic at the prospect of loss and meaninglessness. This is when we experience midlife crises, an anxious reaction that tries to hold on to our lost youth and missed opportunities. The prospect of getting old so terrifies us that we attempt to hide back in the world, in the place that we love the most and which has all that we love. Reaching midlife in Islam is portrayed differently in the Quran. Allah the Most Wise said, until when he attains full strength and reaches 40 years, he says, My Lord, grant me the power and ability that I may be grateful for your favor, which you have bestowed upon me and upon my parents, and that I may do righteous deeds and please you and make my offspring good. Truly, I have turned to you in repentance, and truly, I am one of the Muslims. Forty is the age when mental acumen and physical strength reach their completion, intertwining to prepare us for the next important phase in our lives. It is when the foolishness of young age is left behind. As such, it is one of the milestones in our lives where we turn with greater dedication and sincerity to Allah, asking Him for help and guidance. Abdullah ibn Dawood said about the pious predecessors, when one of them would reach the age of 40, they would fold their mattress. They recognized how pivotal this time was and responded with spending more of their time at night in the worship of Allah rather than sleep, preparing to meet Him. It is noteworthy that it was at this age that Prophet Muhammad received his first revelation and became a prophet. It is also said that all or most prophets became prophets of Allah when they were 40. It is very telling that the prophets of Allah would receive this momentous task of personal and communal change 
when they had reached 40. At this age, as the ayah explains, the Muslim notes the favors of Allah on him, prays to Allah to preserve these blessings and to grant him more, and looks more intently to the next life. This anticipation of the hereafter keeps the Muslim focused on his future and the monumental changes lying ahead, rather than panicking and lamenting the past. A midlife crisis sets in because of our strong attachment to this world and our fear of losing it. The remedy for such crises is to start changing our priorities and focus. We also dread old age because of our interpretation of the state, the place we have assigned to aging and the elderly in our social consciousness. The way we in Western cultures, or at least pockets of it, view and treat the elderly is deplorable. We ridicule them. Comedians make fun of them. Fading looks, diminished abilities, mental confusion, and so on. Aging and the elderly become a sad and tired, tired stereotype that no one wants for themselves. We treat the old as rambling fools who are outdated and irrelevant. We view them as a burden and actually banish them into retirement homes secluded from family and society. The old in Islam, on the other hand, occupy an entirely different space. The Prophet ﷺ commanded us to honor and respect elders. An old man came to see the Prophet ﷺ and the people were slow to give him space. So he said, the one who is not merciful with our young and not respectful of our elders is not one of us. The elderly are also a source of blessing with their dua, wisdom and experience. Baraka, blessing, is with your elders. It, sorry, is with your elders. Rather than the ridicule we heap on the old, we should honor aging as a time of wisdom, deeper understanding of life, and stronger relationship with Allah. It is a very important transitioning time that brings us closer to Allah. When we think about it under this light, why would we hate or dread it so much? The hadith lets us know that heart and body follow different trajectories in the aging process. The body could be old, but the heart is still young. Or the body could be young, but its heart is very old. What we are capable of doing does not only depend on the state of our body, the vitality of our hearts plays the decisive role. This vitality is fueled by the hope we have in our hearts. So go to page 89. This is 81. Okay, so the next section of hope goes until page 86. So we can we can pause here and see if anyone has any thoughts, any reflections. Uh, I'll get the ball rolling by mentioning that it is interesting how in in this society there's almost a hyper focus on youth and the other extreme as it relates to elders. So as someone gets older, buy this product so you can look young. You don't want to look old. You want to do anything but look old. But then the Islamic paradigm is much more centered and balanced. Right? You have the Prophet, for example. We didn't read it, but the Prophet said, that for, for the believer, like white hair or gray hair is actually nur. It's actually light for that person in this life and the next. So it's seen differently. It's seen in a positive way. Uh, and... I think the way that uh, what the Prophet said is, again, it, it reflects the balance of our deen. In the hadith, the one who is not merciful on page 80, the one who is not merciful with our young and not respectful of our elders is not one of us, which is which is pretty uh, severe coming from the Prophet. Anyone else, any thoughts, any 
reflections regarding anything that we covered so far? It's so profound that, that 40 is mm -hmm. mentioned as such a significant number. Mm -hmm. Me being older, I feel like the closer I'm getting to 40, I'm feeling it. You know, mm -hmm. where I'm like, youth really is gone or, or really feels like it's slipping away. Mm -hmm. It really does go by fast. Mm -hmm. When you are young, you don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and the closer you get, you're just like, life is short. Yeah. Know? Yeah. SubhanAllah. Especially uh, like a few weeks ago, it was my first time going back to MCA, which is the community that we grew up in. And it was my first time going back since moving to Sacramento in 2016. And I mean, talk about feeling older, <laughs> subhanAllah. I, so after there was Jumu'ah and then there was a family night program, then Aisha. And after Aisha, there were, mashallah, there were a lot of, even after Jumu'ah, but especially after Aisha, there were uh, a lot of, I'll say youth, you know, coming up and saying, hey, you know, 10 years ago, you taught me at Granada <laughs> when I was in third grade and fourth grade. My name is such and such. Do you remember me? And now, you know, the, the men are young men and they have beards and <laughs> the, the, the girls are now young women and they're in college and university. And subhanAllah, it's, it's, huh? <laughs> 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 no, uh, how, how would you feel if you thought, you've taught like Sunday school and different, so then imagine seeing any of those. My Sunday school kids when I was in the summer. Graduated. Mm -hmm. Because at the time they were like 10, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like yeah. 10 years passed by and now they're 10. Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, you know, yeah. you forget that they grow up too. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were five, now they're 10. They look completely different. Yeah. Yeah. But like you don't feel like that much time has passed. Like I was yeah. 21 when I was <laughs> because everyone looks at me and they're like, you're not still in sixth grade? I'm like, no, I just graduated college, actually. <laughs> yeah. So you're not in sixth grade? I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> just put it on the YouTube live. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Like, the closer, the older you get, mm. even if you have a, like a, I mean, if you have, have really bright personalities, it's, it's more power to you, you know? But like, mm -hmm. you do feel like regrets and like, I wish I tried more, I wish I prayed more, I wish I focused more, you know, like the older you are, mm -hmm. the closer you are getting to feeling like mid-age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you just you reflect more. Like, yeah. And you kind of, you just, you reflect a lot more and you think about, okay, where have I been? Where am I now? And where am I going? Where do I want to go? And it's what like am I doing to get there? It's like the training of your brain to stay in the positive. You know, mm -hmm. it's like sometimes you can just Shaitan will play a whole lot of games, right? Shaitan wants to kick us when we're down, and yeah, yeah. Like if someone, it happens with I think all of us. Uh, let's say someone they have their ups and downs with prayer, with devotion, whatever. Then, when that realization or that it could be a wake-up call. It could, whatever it is. Uh, usually, it's more over time. It's not typically, at times it is, but it's not typically one specific event. It's kind of like usually dragged out over time. There can be events that happen, but usually there's a lot more going on in connection with that. 
Um, when that does happen, that's where it's so essential to have the right support system, the right people to ask questions, to lean on, to learn from, etc. Um, because that's a very fragile state. So if someone, if they hear the wrong thing from the wrong person, classic example, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to open this whole can of worms, but if someone, let's say they were kind of doing their own thing until not even 40, we'll say like 50. And then they have this realization that I want to connect more with Allah. So if they ask someone, it could be a friend, it could be a family member. Very sadly, a lot of people have had bad experiences, so they may be very hesitant, understandably, to go to an imam or a sheikh or a scholar, etc. So if they, I'm saying this so that if we get these questions, then we can know how to understand and how to direct them. If that person rarely, if ever, prayed, and then let's say they grew up in a Muslim family, but they just never really connected with it. And then now they're 50 and they're realizing, wait, I need to reconnect with Allah. I want to, you know, prioritize my deen over other things. Um, what should I do regarding those missed prayers? Very common question. How that answer is given can literally affect their infinity, their hereafter, their forever. If someone responds and if they say, well, you know, you got to make up all those prayers. It's like, well, what's the point? <laughs> it's hard for me to pray twice a day. And you're telling me to pray five times a day, five times each for the next, I don't do, I didn't do the math. Help me out the X number of years. At that point, you're it'll completely destroy them. And they're going to feel like, well, I mean, I'm not going to do that. Just realistically, that's too much. Is there that approach? Is there that general concept in Islamic law and fiqh and okay, prayers are, are missing, they should be made up? That's there, but there has to be a whole lot of wisdom infused. There is another opinion that's valid in its own right that no, you don't have to just do your tawbah. Ya Allah, forgive me. I'm going to try my best starting now. And Along the way, if you pray sunnah prayers, it helps to patch things up and you're showing Allah that you're trying. That's the answer that's needed at that point in time because the other one, even if it's said with a good intention, is going to push them in the wrong direction maybe for the rest of their lives. Who knows? Um, so the way that, like if they ask the right person you know, that question and they get the right answer, so now we're aware that if someone comes to us with that question, then we can say, look, because chances are, we all heard growing up, oh, if you miss them, you got to make them up. That's the only way. Yeah, but there's also another approach, which is a whole lot more, uh, it's heart therapy, right? It's a whole lot more therapeutic and compassionate and a reflection of God's compassion and mercy and wisdom. And I mean, if Allah forgave someone, they killed 100 people. They didn't even get to where they were going, but they tried. They died along the way. Allah forgave them and granted them Jannah. What's up? Oh, you're heading out. Okay. All right. Assalamu alaikum. Do you want to take candy for the road? <laughs> take a handful. Thanks, Thanks for coming. I think it also speaks to what you were talking about earlier, like the tricks of shaitan. Because I've had so many people who have come to me and said, like, there's no, there's no, like, there's no chance for me. Like, mm -hmm. I've made so many mistakes in the past. I've done so many things. And I just, there's no hope, mm -hmm. essentially, kind of like. 
And that directly is a trick from the shaitan that you mm -hmm. just feel like there's no hope. There's there's no getting better. Mm -hmm. So you might as well just not try and pray or not try and be a good person or mm -hmm. like you know, continuously dating for your entire life, mm -hmm. not try and break that habit just because, you know, mm -hmm. like and people too who feel like if they um Hmm. It's okay. It'll, it'll it'll come back. Yeah. I mean, it'll on the flip side, when you were talking earlier, Naz, I was thinking almost the complete opposite kind of what I just said, where it's like we don't recognize the good things that we've done either. And so you get to that midlife crisis, and you're like, I've done nothing. I mean, that's not true. Like, it's not like we're just sitting there for 50 years of your life. Um, but it feels like you well, could have done more. Like, if you really truly reflect in a neutral way, where you're not like in a depressed mode, but you're just like from the outside looking in, reflecting, neutral, yeah. from a neutral standpoint, you're like, there really was a lot more that I could have done. Well, we could have done more all the time. I could have done more today. I'm saying that when you get to a certain age, you start feeling those reflective thoughts. And it's it's like a reminder that you have to tell yourself that it's Shaitan that's doing this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he mentioned 40 for a reason. Like mm -hmm. That's when you really just, your mindset changes. You're, your drive and your your intention to want to worship a lot more because you feel like death is closer so you are going to feel a lot more like like anxiety of like oh my god like this can happen any day like i'm getting older my youth is gone i need to i need to, I need to hurry up mm -hmm. yeah and a sense of other things not filling that void mm -hmm. right there someone can get huh the yeah yeah, so they have their time in their place, but there's a specific part of the heart that is reserved for Allah and Allah alone. And the only thing that will satisfy that portion of the heart is the Qur'an deen, spirituality. Uh, That's what I mentioned about the urgency. Mm -hmm. So depending on how we interact with it, that can be a healthy motivation, right? Like, wow, I, I feel like, okay, what's done is done. So... Uh, so much of this ties in with the intention and and dhikr. Like, it's so generous of Allah that if you say subhanAllah one time, it's multiplied by ten. You say astaghfirullah. So in a sense, <laughs> you're, I say it for myself, it's kind of like a way to um, almost make up for lost time. Like, oh man, you know, time was wasted here, was wasted there, whatever. Uh, it's something that, you know, I think we can all relate to. But what am I? What am I building for the future? What am I? What am I doing about it, right? For the person who killed a hundred people, obviously murders. I mean, even one is is a major sin. That's an extreme, extreme issue. At so ninety nine, as the hadith mentions, you went to a worshiper. So th this ties in with who we ask our questions to. They they have to be the right people and to understand the context and. To know how to under how, how to respond mm -hmm. so he went to a worshiper a monk basically and asked him like hey i've done some pretty ratchet stuff can i be forgiven that guy said no so he became number 100 and then he went to a scholar the first term is rahib so he, like a monk basically and then he went to a alim then he went to a scholar he said this is what i've done can i be forgiven of course like just that response is so different so from his perspective, hey, this person looks religious, that person looks religious. What's the difference? To me, they're all the same. 
but you notice the difference in how they responded. And when he went to a scholar, the scholar said, yeah, of course. And, and gave him the advice that you need to, you need a change of scenery, basically. Yeah, the base itself is also like a lesson for people who are giving advice, mm -hmm. who are on the other end, mm -hmm. to like watch how you talk to people, you mm -hmm. know, and like how you convey a certain message. It's because very serious. It's a life yeah. death, like type of thing, literally. In in that case, literally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting, what what's no pun intended. <laughs> what's interesting is, at the end of the story, who was right, the monk or the scholar? The scholar, because the monks are there. You cannot be forgiven; it's impossible. But at the end of the story, he was forgiven, and Allah did have mercy on him, and and that's like, the the. Like it's 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 more than just information, right? It's understanding people and understanding the heart and understanding um, yourself first. And Sheikh Omar Suleiman mentioned this in, in the khutbah that he sent me a few weeks ago, that as a person really, really focuses more internally on their own uh, process of tazkiyah, purification of the heart, which is uh, what this topic is for the book. As you do that more and more, then you learn more and more about yourself and more and more about different spiritual illnesses. And then as you learn more about that, you also see them more often in other people. But the way you deal with them should be a reflection of wisdom. So if someone, if they notice that they have a certain uh, sickness in their heart and they really work on it and then let's say they purify it, for example. If they see someone else with that or a different one that they recognize, how what's the intention? How are they going to interact with them? How are they going to deal with them? Are they going to try to offer some compassion, some kind of guidance to try to steer them in the right direction? Or is it more of a, a you know judgmental approach and the hammer goes down and you just destroy them? That That's, I mean, so much of this goes back to who the prophet was, like the person in those shoes at that time giving that advice they're an ambassador of the prophet so it's it, there's a lot of pressure there's also a lot of opportunity if done right so it, it's a very delicate situation but inshallah if we have the right people around us then we can uh, you know try to do good to, it's interesting more and more over time it's like when a person first they're they're trying to reconnect with Allah, they're trying to reconnect with their deen, then the maximum capacity is to focus on that day, nothing more. I I can only I only have the capacity to worry about my prayers today, for example. Even that is taking everything I've got just to try to pray twice today on time, just to pray five times today on time, or even if they're missed, but then they're made up. That's taking everything out of me. Don't I don't care about tomorrow, next month, next year. And then over time, that capacity grows and you start looking forward to the week, the month, the year. And then you start thinking more and more about your ending. What kind of ending do I want and what am I doing to prepare for that? So there, like Manar was saying, there is hope and there has to be hope. And we're supposed to be people who give hope to others, right? Like if, if someone, if they, if they come to, to any of us and they say, oh, I've done this, I've done that. And they're like... One time a guy, he came to me um, after a prayer uh, several moons ago, and 
he it was random, no appointment, nothing. He came to me one day after after Isha, and he was saying that, like, this is my situation, and I've done this, and I regret it, and I, basically, sins that are between him and Allah, he's not taking the rights of of other people. Even then, they were major sins between him and Allah, and he was just in a horrible state. So, at that point, and it's not just regarding that situation, but how do we respond in those situations? The 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 approach that we learn from the Prophet is to try to give people hope, try to, okay, there's regret. Regret is the essence of tawbah, of repentance. Then, okay, you know, what's something good that can be done short term? And then what's a good habit that can be cultivated long term? And to kind of, I mean, it, it turned into like a 45-minute conversation. But by the grace of Allah, things seem to improve. And then I saw him. You know, a week or two later and was in a better place and was trying to work on it so on and so forth it's never easy but i feel like a lot of the time i mean have you guys gotten questions from different friends and family members along the way like oh i've you know it could be anything related to to dean can i be forgiven i, I feel mean, like the most common myth mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I was just thinking, like what Nadine um, was saying earlier about, you know, we feel like kind of like we reach a certain age, we kind of get hopeless, feeling a bit hopeless about it, and then also trying to remind yourself that you know those can be clubs from the on. But it's mm -hmm. also, I think it also helps to remember that you also even be thinking of a long and limiting way, kind of mm -hmm. like yeah. when you're thinking that like, oh, I've done so many horrible things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Allah can never forgive me for that. You're you're basically trying to say Allah is limited in His mercy. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. more. That's what I meant. But I still don't. Yeah, but like even in that, same, that, that mm -hmm. is, I, I feel like you're also not thinking of the fact that well, you're here today and there's a chance for you to do more in, what, in the time that you do have left. Mm -hmm. And so switching that around is helpful mm -hmm. to think of, and that Allah's mercy is unlimited, completely unlimited, and you just never know what kind of mercy. So just do whatever you can with whatever time you want. And then whenever that mm. thought comes into your mind, maybe trying to combat that with. Mm. And that's why I went mm. back to, and that's why I was saying, like, you can sit here and talk about it all day that, like, I could have done this and I could have done that and I could have done this and I could have done that, but it's still in the past. Like, it doesn't change anything. So I love that perspective of, like, okay, now let's shift to, like, okay, what can I do? So you're taking that energy and you're putting it into that. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, subhanAllah, what I was just trying to say earlier is just recognizing the things that you have done and the things that Allah Taala did let you do. Because everything that happened in the past was still Allah Taala's plan and it still made you the person you are today. The what good meant, and the bad. Yeah, what I meant was that once you get to a certain age, you start doing like those reflecting types on your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. reflecting and on and sometimes it can go into the like, Yeah, no, but, but, but those thoughts could also be very positive and mm -hmm. when you reach that mm -hmm. point some people yeah. mind you some Sometimes people may not even reflect on that some people may never reflect on that some people may not have regret some people may sometimes if you in your youth you have mm. set yourself up to when you are mid-age you it's like you set yourself up so it's a little easier to have a perspective where it's like more on the positive where you have a growth yeah. mindset but sometimes in your youth, if you haven't set yourself up in that way, it's a little easier, is what I'm saying, to fall into the negative, to feel like, man, 
like doing the reflecting in that way. But of course, you know, you have to switch the perspective. You have to do those positive thinking, positive affirmations and stuff, you know? You do. It's it's your thought process. It's like how you've trained your brain to think throughout the year. If in your youth you've had a lot of, say you've had a lot of uh, negative, like your surrounding was very negative. You grew up in a very toxic environment or with toxic people. Your thought process is in the negative until you yourself work on that. So if you haven't done Hashtag that, therapy. That's why I was like, I'm just listening and absorbing. So yeah, you can't Right on the money. You want to? If you haven't done the work, if you haven't done the work to set yourself up in the in the way where you can think in those, like, positive. Yeah. It's almost it almost feels like once you are, are older at a certain point, the works is the work is like dawning like compared to yeah. when you're young and you're like, Oh, okay, I just need to change my way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's obviously it's it's easier. Easier. the same. Mm-hmm. Things are obviously easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes down to doing the work. Yeah. And uh, as you were reading this, I was thinking of uh, I think it's also Hadith where mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing. Of, uh, five before five, five. yeah. This one of them, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're not just gonna only look at the fact that, like, oh, my youth is over. Yeah, uh, like, I can't do anything about it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. still, it just feels like the work is harder once you are older and you right. bring that But then, that if you, you stay, stay stuck in that mentality, you would get to the point where you're like, well, I think you know, I had a negative childhood, I, all this happened to me. Well, I can't start therapy anymore because yeah, that's when that's when you gotta do the work. Exactly, that's when you gotta do the work. But it helps to start by like trying to shift that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, like, it's, I mean, there's so many, subhanAllah, there's so many ayahs in the Quran that just really drive the point home that there's not just, in connection with what you're saying, there's not just some hope, but the way that Allah puts it is there's a massive amount of hope. Like, Allah, the ayah of hope. You have different opinions on what that is, but Abdullah bin Mas'ud, who's a great companion, plus you're from Afghanistan, so the Hanafis rely on Abdullah bin Mas'ud like a whole lot. He said that the Ayah of Hope is, and he, he was, I mean, an early companion. He was an expert in basically all the different sciences, the, the different Islamic sciences from Quran and Tafsir, Hadith, Fiqh, so on and so forth. Um, he met when he was asked which Ayah gives the most hope. He mentioned uh, Surah Az-Zumar, Ayah 53, when Allah tells the Prophet to say on his behalf. So the, the reference is 3953. Uh, are you pulling up the translation? That's the one that shares the most hope. That, that's, in his opinion, and it's a very solid opinion, that is the Ayah of Hope. And you have over 6,000 Ayahs in the Quran, and he highlighted this one. Specifically, Ibn Masoud. If you can, yeah, please. Um, say, Oh, my servants who have transgressed against themselves by sinning, do not despair of the mercy of Allah. Indeed, Allah forgives all sin, indeed, it is He who is forgiven so much. So that. Ayah, like every step is Allah is reinforcing how forgiving He is. Yeah. First, 
he's telling the Prophet to say on his behalf that in and of itself is a layer of mercy. The Prophet was sent as a mercy to mankind. You could also translate it as, as grace to mankind. To say it applies to every one of us, right? Oh, you have, you know, who have wronged yourselves, you know, whoever has made mistakes. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> let me look internally first before uh, externally. Okay, so Allah is talking to me. Do not despair in the mercy of Allah. A person may still have lingering doubt, like, yeah, but what I've done is this or that. Then Allah doubles down. There is no doubt whatsoever that Allah forgives all sins. And then maybe there's still some doubt. Yeah, but for me, I'm different. I'm so bad. I'm, you know, I'm so terrible and horrible. Allah triples down. And every, like that last part of the ayah, there is no doubt he is. Allah didn't have to say huwa again after this, uh, but Allah doubles down. There's no doubt he is He is the most forgiving, the most merciful. And I feel like sometimes unintentionally uh, we may uh, limit God's forgiveness, limit God's mercy without realizing, like, do we really give him the credit that he deserves? What does it mean to be the most forgiving? What does it mean to be the most merciful? So Allah Himself is really emphasizing Himself. Like, if if there's a criminal in a courtroom and the judge Himself is telling the criminal, "I forgive you. You're pardoned. You have nothing to worry about. You're free to go." I mean, thank you. Like that. That's so gracious. That that's so kind. That's so merciful. That's so forgiving. For example, but what we often do, because a lot of the time we're kind of mistaught how to think about God and we're mistaught religion, something that has come up in the past, I think it may be unintentional, but it can also be very severe and have a lasting imprint on how people think about Allah. Allah Himself is saying, I'm forgiving, I'm forgiving, I'm like, you're free to go, you're forgiven, you're pardoned, you have nothing to worry about, your record is clear. Sometimes what we do is, because we may have been taught a certain way. No, 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 no. I deserve to be punished. You should punish me. And I can't forgive myself unless I'm punished, unless pain is inflicted. That's the only way that I can allow myself to move on because that's what I may have been taught, right? Whether from parents, whether from teachers, whether about Allah, whether... Exactly. So what Allah is doing, Allah is undoing that in this ayah. And Allah could have just said in other places in the Qur'an, Allah says that He's forgiving and merciful. That's true. The most commonly paired names of Allah in the Qur'an, the most forgiving, the most merciful. That's not a coincidence. But in that ayah, Allah really emphasizes over and over, as the judge in his courtroom, I'm forgiving you, you're free to go. What about people who feel that they fall into sin as a punishment? They feel like they are being punished. They're going through something like Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I just feel like when religion is like often time presented, people are projecting their own like thinking into how mm -hmm. they're teaching religion. Yeah. And I think that's why at young ages sometimes we're taught these types of thoughts like you're being punished. Mm -hmm. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Like we really don't know somewhere that if mm -hmm. you fall into 
a sin that leads you away from Allah is a punishment. And if it brings you closer to Allah, it was actually a good thing for you. Yeah, like, that's, a very, that's like really circumstantial. That's the part, yeah. like, that's something that like, like you can that. potentially identify depending on like your level of tesio. Like if you get to a certain point where like you can like, like there are people, there are not everyone, but there are people who can like, if something bad happens to them, they know it's because last week I did this. But like if this mm -hmm. isn't like it's not saying like everyone. Um and again it's like then you can also there's also blessings that are intended to take not blessings, but like things that we see as blessings. Like they're like like we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala extends the life of the life of people and it, and gives them money because he wants them on the day of judgment to have nothing to ask for. That they want to, he wants to give them everything possible in this life so that way on the day of judgment they get nothing. So, viewing worldly worldly matters as like the positives, like maybe like money or or no, peace or sins. calm, like, like, well, not, I mean, like sins, like, like, like Allah doesn't, uh, Allah. Again, this is getting into like like it's like 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 uh, like destiny and uh, what, what's about decree decree like yeah. yeah like it's getting into like matters of your free will, um, but ultimately like if you believe Allah does not force you to do the sin Allah does, Allah will not make you sin like mm. that's that's not that that's not something that you'll find in Athiba or Sharia like if you feel remorseful about something then that's good that's a sign of a healthy heart mm -hmm. and that's a sign that you that Allah has not has not pushed you away in fact Allah loves you still and Allah like Allah has still there's there's a light there's the light of Islam still in your heart because you feel remorse you feel anxiety you feel this you feel this way about how about what, what you've done um and just real quick I've been like I've been holding off on saying this for a while because I want to let people say their piece. But like, um, <clears throat> there's a common saying in Islam. If, I don't know. If I was trying to find out who it's attributed to. I, I cannot find it for life of me. But that the believer is like a bird with two wings, right? And um, one one wing is hope, and on one mm -hmm. wing is fear. And you can't live without it. And um, to con to contrast to, 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 to like add to that, like the law that Omar on one time. Um, he's, he, he said that if somebody, if, if some, if a caller from the heavens was to say that all mankind, every single one of you is forgiven and is going to enter paradise except for one person, I would fear that that person is me. And if that caller were to say all mankind, every one of you is going to hell except for one person, I, I would hope that that person would be me. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have, 